Welcome back to Across the Pond. Barry, it's good to see your face again, my friend. Uh, very late where you are, and uh, I'm sorry about that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty jolly today, if I'm honest. I got a good haircut last night. Uh, I went to actually sit in a restaurant, which is so, so appreciated, Barry. I really, really do miss <laughs> and uh, really cherish that experience again now. But how are you doing? I'm doing well, Chad. I'm doing well. It's been a really good week this side, a really good day today. And so I'm also in a really good mood. And I can see the difference in Chad when Chad's had a good meal. You know, he's been out to a restaurant, he's had some, yep. had some drinks, had a good meal out. And you've escaped lockdown version two chat so congrats on that you survived it you made it through <laughs> and i can see you're a new man yeah well i mean that and obviously this wonderful news that we're going to talk about that's making everyone very optimistic about what's coming in the future uh which is fantastic stuff really is uh, got, everyone's got a bit of a swing in their steps this side but we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> we'll definitely will and also barry this week for both of us i think was a bit of a musical week we have these weeks that are kind of TV focused, we have these weeks that are musical focused, film, we go in all these different directions, sometimes with Barry it's, it's you know, it's the writing and the, the word stuff, but this week was very much music focused, wasn't it? It really was, it really was, just before we started recording Chad, I sent you a, a version one of something mm. I've been working on to get some tips and tricks because you are the editing king of course, and so I've also been working on some stuff and being very inspired by, by some of the music I've heard this week and some of the stuff I've seen, and so yeah, it's been one of those weeks where I miss actually playing music properly. Like sometimes yep. I, I forget about it for a week or two, and I, I kind of don't, I don't dig into that part of my creativity and, and my, my passion for music. And this week I've kind of got back to that a little bit. So I've been playing a little bit of piano. I've been doing some nice. singing, doing some recording, and hopefully some cool stuff coming down the pipe, uh, not too far away. Yeah, nice. I'm exactly the same, Barry. I somehow feel like I'm not grounded if I haven't. Uh, picked up yeah. an instrument or done a little bit of singing it makes such a difference just to release some of the the tension the stress all of that kind of stuff and, and just lose yourself in this art that is music um, it really is a magical vice to have yeah, I don't know why I don't I don't realize that when I'm going through times where I'm not feeling so great, mm. that just being able to sing for like 30 minutes can completely change my day and completely <laughs> change my mood. And there's something really special about it. But then for some reason, I forget about it for weeks at a time, Chad, until I get reminded mm. or inspired and then I get back into it. So I've been thinking maybe of trying out some voice lessons or trying some okay. sort of regular thing to try and give myself like just a real scheduled thing to keep me in that loop because it makes me feel like so, so much better and I feel so much happier and more creative when I do it. So something to think about. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Barry, let's have a little chat about what happened this last week. The week that was. The week that was, Chad, we're going to start with a very, very big news coming out of Silicon Valley, coming out of the startup world, and a giant company by the name of Slack, which has kind of taken over the instant messaging space in a business context. Yeah. This company that has just become this absolute behemoth for any kind of startup and even big corporations, mm -hmm. replace, trying to replace email, trying to replace Microsoft Teams and all these bits and pieces, Slack has become a really, really powerful company. And they've just been acquired, Chad, by another behemoth by the name of Salesforce, and absolutely giant company yeah. with huge like uh, like fingers in every single pie across the world and they've made this acquisition for 27.7 billion dollars their biggest acquisition to date and a really really big kind of check in the box for Salesforce and they're going to try and integrate it now into their whole Oracle setup with their CRM and all their thousands of various plugins yeah. and whatnot and hopefully it's going to become a a big part of Salesforce's business going forward. So a really big acquisition. Have you ever used Slack Chat? Have you ever come across it in, in, in your work so far? Yes, I've actually used it at uh, two companies I've been at before, and it definitely mm. is my messaging platform of choice. I luckily use it at the one I'm at at the moment. There's something about being able to react to messages with emojis and have these kind of <laughs> sub-threads and use hashtags at work uh, that really make it feel a lot more kind of modern and a lot more natural i don't know have you used it barry i have i have not really in a work context but okay. i'm in a couple of communities and various kind of foundations and bits and pieces who have their slacks and kind of open it up to lots and lots of people and i think where the power comes in like you say is being able to have different threads for different mm. topics and different projects and whatnot and so ideally you can kind of follow the things that, that matter to you and that you're interested in and you don't have to get all the other notifications about everything else so it's one of those things that really has kind of come into the world because email has become such a bore for so many of us like email seems so 
old and traditional and old-fashioned and it's not threaded like it should be and it's a bit confusing sometimes where Slack is kind of the new kid on the block. But even that, it's, it's been around for a while and it's kind of feeling like it's it's... Some people have criticized it for being a bit bloated and kind of being lots and lots of features being added all the time. I think it depends on how you use it, right, Chad? Yeah, definitely. And I haven't actually used it uh, with all of its features. I know you can actually use some integrations with uh, Outlook and with all sorts of these other apps. Like you say, now they're looking at integrating Salesforce too. So it's going to be interesting to see how this thing evolves. But I think it should be kept at what it is, a really good instant messaging platform i mean it does do the video calling it does do you know voice calls as well all of that kind of stuff it it can work for and sharing screens does that stuff really well but that's not what it is that's not its kind of core meaning so for those more informal chats to have the video on for for those and keep your webexes or your zooms or whatever the case is for your more more formal uh, meetings i think that definitely is how people should be applying it Definitely, but the, the worry here is that Salesforce is going to come in and make it a big corporation, yeah. right? It's going to make it even more bloated and tied to all the Salesforce products, and that's what some people are worried about with this acquisition. So not everyone is celebrating this news. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the for the Slack founders and for the investors and whatnot, this is a huge win because yeah. a few years ago they were worth almost nothing, and now they're worth billions and billions of dollars. But for anyone who's worried about the core user experience, we've seen time and time again when these big companies get their hands on these new startups or these hands on these new tools there's a tendency to kind of try and integrate them so much that they lose some of their magic and they lose some of that 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 spice that made them what they are so we'll have to wait and see whether they're going to leave it and let it run on its own or if they're going to try and integrate it fully into salesforce's platform and potentially ruin that experience i hope not barry because i I do love slack as it is at the moment and uh yeah i mean just in terms of the competitors out there 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 really isn't that much in terms of a, a corporate offering that that offers all of these types of features i mean if we think of what there was in the past barry looking at things like jabber we're looking at things like skype i know a lot of companies actually still use those technologies uh, but being able to kind of flexibly switch between different groups and different channels and you know different notifications different security levels for each particular channel um, it really does offer quite a lot of flexibility and, and like i say as well for the informal side too it does help with human connection. Definitely, definitely. And it's one of those things where if it's run well and if the channels are set up in a, in a good way, it can really help that communication, like you say, and keep people in the loop as to what matters and not what doesn't matter. Whereas those email blasts you used to get with just absolute nonsense. I remember being at R&B and I would spend like the first <laughs> 20 minutes of my day deleting all the nonsense emails yeah. I'd received overnight about things that weren't relevant to me, right? Whereas the Slack is able to kind of narrow that down to whatever function you're in or whatever things you're interested in, yeah. you can follow those conversations and interact as as it as it needs to be and then the rest you can kind of leave and the power is that is plugging in all these third-party integrations they have hundreds of integrations to plug bots in for every single thing you can think of right so there are all these guys that if you get a new sale it'll put a it'll put a bot into a certain channel and say this is a new sale and add it to a okay. google doc and there's lots of cool automation you can do if you get a bit fancier with it um, but again you, you don't want to make it too bloated because this whole idea is speed and convenience yep. and so it's all about how you use these tools as is with anything and so yeah i'm very curious to see what salesforce does with it yeah and the thing that i've been struggling with it a little bit is when i do need to look back for something it's this long big chat window which you know emails you can easily move things into folders it's a little bit easier to manage uh, whereas when you yeah. need to navigate for something i mean you can bookmark a certain message and there, there is a search function uh, but that's certainly something i think they should improve on don't you think yeah definitely but i think it also points to the fact that there's never going to be a perfect yeah. tool there's never going to be this amazing magic bullet piece of software that's going to be perfect for True. every single use case every single piece of software has got their pros and cons and got the things they're really good at and the things they're not and so i think a lot of us like like tech geeks like us so we get caught up on trying to find this perfect app. And I know me, I've changed productivity systems and task <laughs> managers like a gazillion times because yeah. I keep thinking the next thing is the perfect app that's going to solve all my problems. And you kind of got to realize that you need to have like a set of tools and then use the right ones for the right kind of things, right? And so whether it's note-taking, whether it's task management, whether it's instant messaging, it's understanding what Slack is good for and then what Slack isn't good for. Yeah. So for example, like finding stuff and re- referencing things and documents, Slack is not ideal for 
that. But that's not the point. The point is quick, instant communication. Yep. And if you can link that to other other services that are better at that search and better at that referencing and folders and that sort of stuff, that's when it gets really powerful. So I think we have to get away from this idea that we're going to find this one tool that's going to solve everything and it's going to be the one that rules them all. Yep. It's, it's more than likely going to be a Swiss Army knife version of tons and tons of different things that are going to give you as a whole the holistic kind of functionality you're looking for. Bang on, Barry. Couldn't have said that better myself. Now, let's move on to the next one, which is the reason why, like I said, on my side of the pond, if you're new here, I live in London, the United Kingdom. Barry is Skyped in now from, Zoomed in, Barry, Zoomed in, shall I say, (laughs) uh, from Johannesburg in South Africa. And uh, yeah, on my side of the pond this past week, we've got some big news, really, really big news. And that is that the Pfizer vaccine has actually been approved for usage in the UK. And as we're recording this on Thursday night, Thursday the 3rd of December, next week, Barry, they're going to start vaccinating people, which for me is just insane. It is surreal, Chad. It's absolutely surreal. If you think back to kind of Jan, Feb, March, when all of this was getting started and you kind of, that all feels like a blur up to this point. And now we get into the stage where a vaccine is here and it's been approved. I think the UK is the first country to do it. So it's kind of breaking new ground. And yeah, it really is surreal, Chad. And and for all of us around the world, we're looking to you guys as the guinea pigs to see what happens. <laughs> and I'm sure if things go well, they will be following suit pretty quickly. Yeah, that's my stance as well, Barry. I just envision countries just dropping their approvals down like dominoes uh, after this. But I suppose each place has their own rules and each place has their own procedure that they need to follow uh, to get comfortable with the trials and the, the studies and all, all of the rest of it. Um, but I mean, you did say that in South Africa, there is a kind of mandate to produce this thing at scale in Port Elizabeth. So I have no doubt that there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on the regulators that side too. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a lot of things to, to think about. We, we chatted about the storage that's needed. We've chatted about all the regulatory things that need to yep. be in place in order for this to be mass produced. And of course, this requires like some sort of leap of faith when it comes to the, the, the drug, drug authorities and the medical authorities in each country to figure out, cool, are we going to give this the go ahead? Because if we do, we're kind of on the line for whatever happens, right? And the trials have gone very well, as we've discussed in previous episodes. And so I think the world is optimistic about this potential. But when it gets mass produced, things can change. Right. We mm. all know that a small sample size is not the same as delivering millions and millions of doses. Yep. And so it's going to be an interesting logistical and kind of regulatory challenge to figure out, cool, if you're going to say yay, then what is the next step? Like, What is the next kind of thing? I think the UK have ordered about 40 million doses so yep. far. So they are not holding back. They are going straight away and get as many doses as possible. Um, and so I think we'll watch the UK and see what happens. I think the US FDA is meeting next week as far as I understand. So we'll have to wait and see what comes out of that meeting. But I think if those two countries, if the US and the UK kind of approve it, I think a lot of countries will feel a lot safer and a lot more kind of reliable on those two bits and pieces because because the countries are so powerful. Um, and so, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what happens. And logistically, how are you going to mass produce these things, like you say? It's going to be a really interesting kind of social experiment of the next couple of months as to who's going to get the vaccine, who's going to yeah. take it, what's the cost going to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that that order is in for the 40 million. And although it sounds like a lot, I mean, it is a lot, but we have to halve it because, you know, two doses per person. And then we got to look at the UK's, the rest of their order book. And the next one is the AstraZeneca vaccine that we spoke about last week, Barry. And they've ordered a heck of a lot more of those. So the question is, if this one is the one that is more effective and the orders have already been kind of locked in for the amount of production capacity that is, you know, to be expected in the next 12 months, what happens? Do we start relying on vaccines that are less effective? What do we do then? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, Chad, it's, it's a little bit of a mute point because at this point, you're just trying to mm-hmm. get as many vaccines as yep. possible. I don't think we're at a stage just yet where we have the, the luxury of being able to say, <laughs> cool, I prefer A to B or, or B to C. I think at this point, you're just trying to get vaccines out there as quickly yeah. as possible to ensure that we stem the, the deaths and stem the rising cases and get people back to work and back to kind of some sort of normalcy. I think both, K- both the AstraZeneca and the, the Pfizer vaccines have shown very 
very, very good efficacy. And so the, the, the difference is not significant. It's not like mm. it's a 90% versus a 50%, right? It's yeah. kind of, it's relatively in the same ballpark. And I think from our perspective and from the world perspective, the quicker they get you, the better. So the more people we have producing, the more manufacturing plants are doing it, the more different types of vaccines we have, the better. As yeah. things go further on and more people get vaccinated, then maybe we get to a stage where we can start choosing A versus B. But for the moment, it's get as many as you can, Chad, and kind of get them as quickly as you can. Yep. Chad, I saw something interesting. I'm not sure if it's true. I saw somewhere saying that Boris is going to take the vaccine live on TV. Okay. Is that true? I, do, I don't know anything about that, to be honest. Uh, but that, that doesn't surprise me at all. I've seen that they've been really increasing the messaging in terms of, well, false news and all of the perceptions out there um, on social media specifically about taking the vaccine and so we've seen jvt jonathan van tam having like live press briefings talking about the vaccine talking about vaccines in general uh, i think there's a lot of kind of educational uh, material going out to try and get people to be keen on on taking this um, and ultimately i wouldn't be surprised if boris is going to do it on live tv either the question though is that is that going to change people's minds, right? Yeah. So if you weren't going to take the vaccine previously and, and Boris with his crazy haircuts and <laughs> absolutely like, like like weird, weird persona is going to get on TV and take it, is that going to change your mind, do you think? Or do you think it's just kind of a publicity thing to say, listen, the UK is standing behind these vaccines. Our top leader is going to take it. But it's kind of weird because he's already had the virus, Chad. So it, it's a weird kind of optic there. And so I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. Yeah, that is true. I don't think personally it would change my mind. Uh, just just him as, as one particular person. Um, but I mean, we also need to think about the fact here, Barry, that not every single person is going to have to take a vaccine, I don't think. We're obviously going to go down the vulnerable kind of age bands first and then look at other conditions and do all of those kinds of things. And so for me, if you get to a stage where all of the vulnerable people who themselves really want to get back to life as normal and really want to get out of shielding and, you know, fearing for their life when they step out the door, um, once you're in that position, you and me probably won't need to take it or am i being too idealistic i don't know i, ju I just don't <laughs> know this is such an un unprecedented thing i don't think it, we've ever tried to have a global vaccine like this in mm -hmm. a short period of time and so I, i've got no idea how it's gonna how it's gonna pan out um i would think that we would get vaccinated eventually chad i i, okay. I as far as i understand the herd immunity type discussion you need a large large majority of people to have it in order to kind of cut that cut that still stem that tide and so i think we will get it but like you say i think we're going to be like as young fit people we're going to be well fit is <laughs> in commas, as young people um, we're going to be kind of right at the back of the queue and I think that like you say the vulnerable the elderly are going to get these things first and hopefully that helps us stem the tide of deaths and kind of the more serious stuff okay. and then we'll be right at the back Chad I'm wondering why when you play with ex-South African hockey players you feel the need to put inverted commas when you say fit Barry <laughs> what is this <laughs> Well, it was fit for three minutes until I tore my hamstring, Chad. So clearly I wasn't fit enough to kind of keep up. Um, I think the, the lockdown has really hit the belly. We've chatted about yep. it in the past. And so I'm definitely not fit. I, it's, it's, it's not an exaggeration or hyperbole. I need to get my act together during December because Christmas dinners are coming. All the cookies and the chocolates are coming down the line. Yep. And so I need to kind of get my, my ass into gear in the next couple of weeks, Chad. Have you got an advent calendar? Have you already started plowing through it? I don't, I don't, but maybe I should get. I haven't had an advocate in years. Do you guys still do them? Or, or maybe you shouldn't, Barry. Maybe this is a good thing. <laughs> maybe it's a good thing to avoid. Um, I was looking at getting one because I did get one last year. And yeah, this year, just haven't got one yet. But I might actually stay away from it because it might be a good idea. I uh, went into the gym the first time, uh, you know, since lockdown ended yesterday. I went into the gym yesterday morning, was there, very keen. And now this morning, I can't, I can hardly move. My muscles are just, <laughs> you know, saying no they're uh, they're hating me right now uh, but it, it'll get better chad i had the same experience the first time i went back to the gym about a couple of weeks ago is, and I, I did like a really good workout and i felt really good during yep. the workout and then like you say the next morning you wake up and i couldn't move my arms above kind of horizontal and i was like what is going on <laughs> it's, it's it takes some time to get back into it, it. it takes some time to kind of remind your muscles what they're capable of um, at one stage i was thinking of going going to try some boxing but okay. after like two gym workouts where i couldn't move my arms i'm like maybe i should ease into things and not rush straight into <laughs> boxing <laughs> Yeah, that's not a bad idea, Barry. Just ease your way in there. That's my strategy too. Well, let's talk about some stuff we found interesting this past week. Stuff I found interesting. 
So you reached out to me a few weeks ago, Barry, and you, out of nowhere, out of absolutely nowhere, <laughs> gave me a little on-the-spot quiz. It's one of those where, like, it's one of these cases where people say, well, I'll wake you up in the middle of the night and throw you a question and you need to be able to answer this. And Barry asked me this question, which was, how many people do you think work for Amazon? And I kind of thought about how many countries they have a presence in or how many countries I knew they had a presence in. Gave a little rough estimate of, of what a big company would have. And uh, th- the reply you gave me was uh, just crazy. And that's why I'm bringing it up again, Chad. I can't get over this number. I really can't get over this number. And like you say, it feels like one of those questions in like a Google <laughs> interview where they're trying to stump you and kind yep. of make you do all this mental maths, trying to figure out how many employees Amazon have. And I, I mean, if I was to guess, I would have guessed like tens of thousands or yep. maybe maybe just over 100,000, right? So when I found out, Chad, that Amazon have currently more than 1.2 million people Oof. under their employments, I, I simply cannot get my head around that number. It is an absolutely giant number of people to be employed by one company. And, and yeah, I just have to bring it up again, Chad, because it, I can't get my head around it. It's just insane. It's just insane, especially if you look at the, the number of countries. Now, they do have a big presence. Let's not, let's not take that away from them. Uh, but if you look at the world at large and, uh, and you look at their presence, they're still lacking in some really big locations. But... 1.2 million people is staggering. I mean, I had imagined in my mind that a lot of the work was automated, right? We're talking about yeah. a tech giant. So you've got this, these wonderful technologies. I've heard these stories of people de- developing all sorts of stuff that automatically compares prices across the market, automatically assembles, you know, r- recommendations and reviews and does all of this kind of stuff. Um, but there's obviously a lot of things that I'm not factoring in here. Uh, because they are truly a massive giant. That's what makes it so confusing for me is that, is that they're not like a McDonald's, which has like lots and lots of people in different mm. stores and, and in physical locations. And I've seen those videos of these robots in the warehouses going yep. to pick up the various shipments and bringing them to the people at the front. And so in your mind, it feels like a very kind of lean company when it comes to employees. And and so that's just crazy. And then the next thought of mine, Chad, was that, okay, maybe the reason they have so many is because they have like lots of extra people over the holidays, over the Christmas period coming up and so they've got a whole bunch of temporary workers and then i found out that 1.2 million excludes the 100,000 temporary workers who are recruited for the december period and then the the next thing i thought about was what about the drivers maybe that's why there's so many people and the drivers aren't even included there's 500,000 drivers who are independent contractors who kind of work with amazon but they're not officially employees so the 1.2 million excludes the drivers and excludes the actual temporary holiday workers and yeah it's such a huge number and and what a crazy company chair certainly the biggest company Mm. we've ever seen and there's a reason why jeff bezos is the richest person in the world right yeah 100 percent 100 percent and yeah those numbers are just staggering my question barry is when do you see a presence of amazon in south africa i'm sure you cannot wait for that to eventually happen i mean if you ask me the opportunity is 100 percent there you look at the retailers that you guys have like takealot.com south africa's got a heck of a lot of space it's got a lot of people um, and ultimately there is a lot of demand for these type of you know fast moving consumer goods so why it hasn't happened i don't know but i'm sure you'd love that I really would, Chad. I really would. I think Take A Lot's got this monopoly over the market. Mm. And as a result, they're able to bully with like prices and they do lots of shady things with their deals where they mark <laughs> things up and then bring things down. And yep. there's been a lot of like negative publicity about them in, in the last couple of months. And so I think I would love some competition in that space. And like you say, I think South Africans are slowly starting to come around to online shopping. Yep. COVID has kind of really like turned that on its head. Like a lot of the retailers and the food stores have been doing deliveries throughout COVID. I know Checkers has been doing absolutely crazy crazy when it comes to people going to do personal shopping for you and delivering it to your house yeah. you go into a checkers right now chad 95 percent of the people in the store aren't actually buying for themselves they're actually like drivers who are picking up things okay. on their app to then go and deliver to someone in their house and so i think south africans are coming around to that sort of that sort of world i think certainly in the, in the major cities so Joburg, cape town durban etc the logistics is getting to a point where it is possible to yep. do it at a relatively inexpensive cost and relatively convenient and so yeah yeah, I'm hoping they will come here eventually, Chad. But I don't know what it means for the rest of the businesses because we know that Amazon comes into 
markets and mm. just cuts underprices everybody because that's their strategy and they just go for long-term market share. And so if you're a competitor who's trying to sell online stuff in South Africa, maybe you're hoping they don't come, Chad. No, for sure, definitely. And especially when you do have... Uh, you know, the man himself, Mr. Bezos, you know, just getting all that cash out from, from all these various countries. <laughs> uh, sometimes you do like to support the smaller, uh, the smaller businesses, which I think is also something important to, to think about this year. If you're going to do your Christmas shopping and you are in a country that allows uh, the use of Amazon, it's been a tricky year for everyone. And all of those small little businesses could most certainly use, um, use the help. So just think it through before buying your Christmas gifts this year. Now, Barry, we said it was a musical week. And the reason that it was is because there was a documentary released and uh, one by an artist that both of us really love. We've even covered one of his songs together before. <laughs> uh, a guy by the name of Sean Mendes. I'm sure everyone will be very, very familiar with his name. He's released one part of an album that he's been leaving us hanging for quite a while and there's nothing to whet your appetite any more than this kind of documentary without a doubt chad i think we've been waiting for new music from him for a while now uh we kind of i think it was a year or two ago when his last album came out and he's one of those like absolute sensations that i love listening to and so i'm very very excited about this new album as far as i know it comes out in a few days from when we're recording this maybe even tomorrow from when we're recording this so i'm very excited to, to hear it there's been two singles so far and they sound great so Hopefully that's the kind of the standard of the album. But like you say, in order to kind of build the hype and build the suspense, he's released this documentary on Netflix called In Wonder. And basically it's a look at his his last like tour and kind of following him through the journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and what it looks like to tour as this global superstar. And so I found it incredibly interesting and inspiring. I think both of us, Chad, when yep. we finished the movie, we just we <laughs> just wanted to play music right we just yeah. wanted to kind of pull that energy and go and do something with it and I, the reason i think is is that is because he comes from such humble beginnings he kind of mm. started from absolutely nowhere and he's become this real real pop star and this real rock star without losing his groundedness or his just his just personality he's a really good guy yeah completely agree i uh sat down on saturday morning to watch this with my fiance and i think as, as soon as we got into the the storyline a little bit as soon as we were kind of 10 minutes in I like looked at her and said, you know, I'm going to be recording a cover today, right? I just have to. <laughs> like you say, Barry, that inspiration just fills you up and you just want to create. Uh, because this is a guy who, for those who don't know, kind of started his journey online. He started his journey on YouTube, on Vine, um, and it just exploded uh, from there. And I remember watching all of these clips on YouTube um, of him kind of the first time he was playing outside live um really just on the street almost busking type, type of thing and had these massive crowds around him because at that stage he already was quite well known um and whenever we watch these stories of the the people who are just ordinary people who you know ultimately skyrocket to the kind of fame that he has at the moment and like you say who is still humble and is still a nice guy um, it, it really does just fill you with so much inspiration, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really exciting because he's kind of one of those first kind of global superstars that came from the internet themselves, right? Came from, like you say, from YouTube videos when he was 12 or 13, following in Justin Bieber's footsteps, yeah. who was kind of the first person to be discovered on YouTube and then become an absolute global sensation. Shawn Mendes had a very similar kind of like career starting point coming out of YouTube with these braces as like a nerdy little 12 year old boy, but with so much talent and just oozing talent from, from everywhere. And he was discovered and kind of became this, this absolute rock star today that now is like a sex symbol around the world with Calvin Klein with like all sorts of stuff. And then producing really, really amazing music and watching that journey is, it kind of makes you feel like you can do it too, Chad. I think that's where your your cover came from is that idea of, I can also post on YouTube. Like those, those barriers to entry are no longer there. This idea of having to find an agent and a publisher and trying to get someone to believe in you and kind of sending demos to people and hoping they'll listen to it. Those days are gone. These days you put your stuff out there and if you're good enough, you get picked up. And that's how the world works at the moment. And so 
there really are no excuses anymore for yeah. anyone who's creative and trying to make something for themselves. It's about creating, 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 getting better over time. And, and sometimes you get lucky and you catch a break like Sean Mendes did. And look at the careers had since then. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Now let's kind of unpack the documentary a little bit, Barry. Let's talk about some of the key themes, some of the, the key bits of storyline really as well. Um, so obviously he spoke about how amazing it is that this journey that he's had um, but at the same time he kind of spoke about the other parts of it right the, the the parts of when you in front of all these people and you feel like you can't make any mistakes you feel like your life is constantly in the spotlight um, ultimately he spoke about some of that the, the perils of fame I guess and that's something we've, we've chatted about on this podcast before too um, but something that I guess when you have these moments of uh, you know stardom you also need to consider the other bits that you need to live with too. Yeah, you end up making a lot of sacrifices as to what a normal life actually looks like, right? So he chats about not being able to kind of sit on a couch and watch a movie with his friends or with his family because mm. he's touring all the, all the year and everything, like he says, under the spotlight. And so fame really is a double-edged sword, right? Obviously, there's an amazing part of being able to stand in a stadium and hear a song yeah. that you wrote being screamed back at you by thousands and thousands of people. And that experience must be unlike anything mm. else. But then you get off that stage, Chad, and again, like you can't make any mistakes. You have to be this perfect icon all the time. And you never have an opportunity to be silly or to kind of do something out of your comfort zone or kind of be a little bit different or, or sit in your sweatpants and, and mess around, right? Like, like most of us can do. And so he chats quite eloquently about that i think when he was younger he didn't even want to be famous like yep. when he started he's, he was saying he doesn't want to be famous because of what it comes with mm. um and as his career has grown he's he's matured a lot and trying to find ways to get some sort of normalcy every now and then so when he goes home to canada and goes home to his parents he tries to give as normal yeah. as possible but he's there for a couple days and then he's back on tour again or back in the studio again because the, the industry demands things all the time and and when he goes and does these like world tours chat he'll do i think a hundred and something shows over over like 200 mm. days so you are traveling all the time and you're putting your all into every single night it's exhausting it must be yep. absolutely draining yep yep definitely and then there's also i guess the the toll that it takes on your body now, for anyone who has sung before, like you'll know the kind of vocal demand that being on a stage, I suppose, and, and singing the songs that a lot of the times people write to their, the, the top end of their range. Now, when they perform those songs live, they've got to push their voice really, really hard. And uh, I mean, I just think about John Mayer, who had like a voice operation, and he will never be able to hit the same notes ever again. We think about Adele, who had to cancel all sorts of shows because, you know, she had some massive vocal strain. Ultimately, these people are still human. They are limited uh, by, you know, the, the, the bodies that they're, that they're in. And uh, you get to a part of the documentary where you really get to see firsthand what this kind of experience looks like and what not being able to perform when you've got hundreds of thousands of people really there to watch you, uh, what it does to a person as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those things we underestimate because when we go to see a concert, we sing it for the first time. So mm. we kind of don't think about the fact that he's probably done the show night after night after night for the last hundred days, right? So we don't appreciate how much strain is actually being put on it. And he has to give his all every single show. So even if you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to try and manage my voice. I'm going to try and hold back a little bit. Once you're on stage and that adrenaline mm. is pumping and the crowd is screaming, it's, it's almost impossible to kind of hold back because you're trying to give your all for the people who are in those stages. And so, like you say, we, we watch him get to a point where his voice starts to completely break down. And it's like 2 p.m. before the show and he just can't sing at all. He's, he's trying to do vocal warm-ups and his voice sounds absolutely terrible. Mm. And they have to make a very difficult decision, like you say, to go and cancel the show when there are thousands and thousands of people in Sao Paulo who have bought tickets, I'm sure paid a lot of yep. money to get there. People have flown in from around the world, from around Brazil, to come into that show and to cancel that last minute because he can't sing. I mean, you can see the emotional mm. toll it has on him. It absolutely breaks him, Chad. Yeah, and if it was up to him, he would have done the show still. He would have done the show, mm. done like irreparable damage really to his voice. Uh, because, yeah, when you do push a little bit too hard, you can go too far. You definitely can. And uh, it's one of those where all the people around him kind of had a consensus. He really... Uh, withdrew from this decision he was like i can't actually you know I'm, i can't make this decision um, and ultimately one of those really hard calls to make now the only thing i was thinking when i was 
thinking about this is is this when insurance policies kick in because they've hired the <laughs> venue right the venues here I, I suppose they obviously postpone the date and in terms of the the ticket sales you know they'll they'll sort that out but in terms of all of the costs that they've incurred to date is that where these insurance policies then finally kick in I'm sure I'm sure they must because they, those are huge upfront costs mm-hmm. like to put a, to put a show on like that it costs a heck of a lot of money and all the contractors all the bits and pieces there's thousands of people working on the show it's not just him and his band they're yeah. like huge amounts of people in the infrastructure and like you say how do you kind of compensate those people how do you make sure it happens and I'm assuming they've got all those insurance policies behind them but it's an interesting discussion about like the team that makes that decision like whose interests are they looking after right we've heard lots of stories about teams who push these teen stars way further than they should because they're trying to make as much money as they can while while the sun is shining right while this artist is relevant you're trying to milk it as much as you can and you actually need a team around you that cares about you as the artist and it's able to say, listen, for the long-term future of your voice and your career, we need to kind of cancel the show. We need to go a bit slower or change mm-hmm. some things. And we certainly see in the past, if you don't have the right people around you in your inner circle, they can very easily kind of push you to go further than you should because all they're thinking about is their own interests. And so it's a very icky industry when you get to that sort of level, when you're not sure who's actually looking out for you and who's not. And I think he talks about how powerful having a good support system is around him. And I've heard Bieber talk about that in the past as well. And he was much younger. He didn't have the right support system around him. And that kind of led to a couple of difficulties and a couple of controversies throughout his younger years. And I think as he's matured, he's realized some of the things, some of the more important things he needs to have in order to make this happen. And I think we underestimate that, Chad. It's not just Shawn Mendes. It's not just, not just the artist. There's a team of hundreds of people behind him making this thing happen all around the world. Yeah, absolutely. You're 100% right, Barry. And for all those people, they all need to ultimately uh, be on the same page. They all need to have the right motivations and uh, and have his interests, uh, you know, first in mind because that's that's the most important thing ultimately. So highly recommend you do go and watch that if you like Sean Mendes. And uh, obviously, you'll be listening to his album when that comes out. The, the last thing I wanted to talk about, Barry, I know we've got lots more we want to chat about today, uh, but the last thing I want to chat about is just the the kind of romanticism about Camila Cabello, uh, who, you know, is now his lady. And essentially when you, when you get to kind of removing this veil, um, that ultimately all of his music, like the bulk of his hits have been about her and she didn't even know it. It's, it's, it's hilarious. I was chatting to a friend the other day talking about it and, and he was saying that, isn't it a little bit creepy when you like write <laughs> songs and songs and songs and songs about this girl and she has no idea. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of saying to him, aren't all love songs about somebody, right? It's very rare to write a love, to can be inspired and write a love song that's kind of generic and about, about nobody, right? I feel like all songs have, have, have a muse, have some sort of basis for writing it. And of course, he wrote it about Camilla. And it's really cool that it's come full circle and she's now like part of his, part of his life and they're together and they seem very happy together and they're performing together on stage and whatnot. And uh, I think that it's, it's one of those stories that's really heartfelt and really kind of feel yeah. good. And I hope they last, Chad. I really hope they last. Yeah, as well, as well. Okay, that's all of the uh, celebrity news you need from us. Uh, who's <laughs> dating who? How long they've been together? What is their life backstory? Uh, we don't typically go into kind of celeb uh, gossip over here on Across the Pond. But uh, anyway, we had to we had to touch a little bit on that. <laughs> Barry, this year has been nothing more than, than crazy. Um, I don't want to use all of these mumbo-jumbo words that, that we hear in all of these podcasts and all of these... Uh, webinars that we've been linking into. Funny enough, I was uh, watching one the other day with a couple of friends and, you know, just chatting with friends at the same time. And ahead of the webinar, we actually said, well, what's going to be the the catchphrase of this one? And uh, I said, the word is going to be pandemic. And within the first (laughs) five minutes, Barry, pandemic was said 13 times. Um, but oy, anyway, oy. in terms of words for 2020, you've got some other stuff to talk about. Yeah, so on a very similar vein, the Oxford English Dictionary, which is kind of the king of the English language, if you think about it like that, they they do something every year where they, they'll name a word of the year, some word that's been very, very instrumental to whatever's happened during that year, and they crown it as the word of the year. It's like a little kind of memento, souvenir to look back on that year. And if you look back at some previous words, Chad, 2013, we had selfie, was the birth of the selfie which has become a huge phenomenon of course yeah. 2014 the word was vape 
which I find interesting. 2015, it was an emoji, Chad. It wasn't a word. It was the crying emoji, which I certainly love to use. So I'm I'm all about that. 2016 was post-truth, which is, of course, a reference to the Trump thing when he got elected in 2016. 2017 was a youthquake. I've never heard that in my life, Chad. Yeah. I don't know if you ever used Youthquake no. in the sentence. No, I haven't. I'm uh, clearly off the radar on this one. <laughs> I'll have to go do some research on that. 2018 was toxic. 2019 was climate emergency. And 2020, Chad, the word is... There is no word. <laughs> the Oxford English Dictionary decided that they could not come up with one word that personified the whole of 2020. And so for the very first time, they are not going to name a word of the year. Nice. And that's kind of crazy because if you think about it, it, it makes sense because 2020 has just been an absolutely crazy year. We've all forgotten about the wildfires in Australia in January, mm. which was like a world-leading story for a good month or so, like a real dire situation, because that's been buried by a thousand other things in yep. 2020. And of course, the big thing being this pandemic, like you say. And so people talked about, would the word be coronavirus? Would it be pandemic? Would it be quarantine? Would it be you're on mute? What, what would it be? Um, and they've decided that they are not going to pick a side. They're going to write off 2020 like so many of us oh. are going to do and look forward to 2021, hopefully with new horizons. Really interesting that they made that choice. I would have hoped that they would have picked one at least, Barry. The Euro on mute <laughs> is a really good one that I didn't even think about. Um, I mean, <laughs> lockdown's got to be in there, surely? Because yeah. when, before 2020, have you ever heard of the word lockdown? And when, in, before 2020, would you have ever thought you would be subjected to a lockdown? Um, it's just crazy when you actually take a step back and look at this year in that kind of perspective, in this quantifiable little timeline. Um, it just is insane. All that we now consider normal uh, never, never was. Um, but that's interesting that they've made that choice to actually just leave it blank. It really is something that I guess will have that effect of when you're looking back through history, um, it certainly is going to be a talking point. Without a doubt. And I think, I, I'm sure it's controversial. Like, it's not, obviously, it's not super important. But I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in those, in that whatever boardroom made these decisions and hear the different conversations and batting words back and forth and kind of some of the reasoning. I'd, I'd love to know, know a bit more about that. Um, but yeah, 2020, no word has been chosen. So it's... I guess we can all choose our own word, Chad. I mean, I was sitting the other day to try and I'm trying to write a, a blog post about okay. this year. And so I've been sitting down and trying to kind of put some of my thoughts on paper. And it's a mess. It's an absolute mess to try and like break down exactly what's happened this year mm. and all the emotions that have been part of it. And like you say, all the life changes and everything. And so maybe it's better that we just remember 2020 <laughs> as 2020 <laughs> and we don't kind of associate anything with it because it's, for a lot of us, it's a year to forget. Oh, 100%. I think for every single one of us, it's a year to forget. Although there may have been some silver linings in working from home, let's just be honest with ourselves. <laughs> let's forget this one. Barry, one last thing to talk about in stuff I found interesting is Spotify's Unwrapped. So I think the first year that they did this was last year, where all of us were kind of not expecting it at all. We got this push notification come through on our phone and open it up and all of a sudden just like Strava kind of does as well at the end of the year and shows you how far you run and uh, you know how far you've cycled all that kind of stuff it shows you uh, you know how much stuff you've listened to how many different genres what are your top artists top albums etc etc and it, it really does give quite a nostalgic look back on on your year because we talk about music we talk about the value that music has in our lives and ultimately that soundtrack attaches itself to things we were doing, places that we were, frames of mind that we had. Um, and there really is so much in this that is music. Um, but for me, obviously this year, it was less kind of comparable because I've been at home the whole time and my fiance has been using my account as well. And we've been doing, <laughs> you know, home gym workouts and we've been doing all of these kinds of things. And so the data that it spat out was really not accurately reflecting of me. But at the same time, it was accurately reflecting what I had been listening to because of the fact that we were at home. And so a lot of her influences came through in that playlist. And I thought that was quite interesting to look at, at a kind of little time capsule, if you'd like, of, of what our year was. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things. The data doesn't lie, Chad. The data mm. does not lie, and 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 these things are so beautiful because they bring up. There's always some surprises in there. <laughs> Obviously, there's always the kind of key favorites, and you, you yeah. kind of know some of the people that are going to pop up in those in those end of year kind of wrap ups. Yeah. But there's always those surprises where you're like, "Did I really listen to that person <laughs> that much? Did I really like listen to that song on repeat so yeah. much?" Yeah. Um, and so that's it's always a wonderful kind of thing. It's so super simple as a concept, but it means so much to you because, I, like you say, music is a is a deep like human part of our lives and it really is important especially to us who are, who are like music fans mm -hmm. and so that unwrapped is really a cool experience to kind of look back on the year and kind of think think about what has happened and like you say it's a time capsule uh, mm -hmm. i i do this thing where i've got a playlist on my on my uh, music player where i've got a year each playlist has got a year okay. and i try and add songs to say the 2020 playlist awesome. if i discover the song in that year and so i've kind of been building my own playlist and i've done it for three years now so wow. i can go back to like a 2018 playlist and see the various songs that are added throughout that year That's cool. and so this is a similar sort of thing we're looking back on that time and and like you say it's the soundtrack to our life mm. especially when you're working at home it's a soundtrack to when you're working to when your zoom call to your workouts to everything <laughs> and uh, it's always interesting to see what surprises pop up yeah it really is and i myself to be honest i've just been getting a lot more lazy with my music curation if i'm honest when i was a younger dude i actually used to work at look and listen now do you even remember look and listen barry it, it went <laughs> under um i used I to do, merchandise the stock on the shelves i used to work in the crest the branch of look and listen um and at that stage i feel like i used to curate what i listened to a heck of a lot i had a lot of thoughts into the genre the artists i listened to all of that kind of stuff whereas now i rely on these automatic playlists that people around the world decide uh, stuff that should go in there and obviously I don't have as much time as I did when I had just matriculated but um, <laughs> you know it's something that I think we should be paying a bit more attention to and your exercise of at least you know putting personal playlists together is something that I really really regret not having done. It's such a fascinating conversation because if you remember back to the iTunes days before the mm. world of streaming, like your iPod or whatever you had on your iTunes was like a point of pride, yep. right? People would spend hours and hours inputting names of songs and yep, albums yep. and picking the right kind of balance between your various genres because you only had so much space. So you had to kind of triage what mattered to you and people would kind of judge you or like yep. look at your music tastes and make judgments upon who you were as a person. And that, that has all kind of shifted, like you said, to this algorithmically generated thing. And it is so much easier to rely on those algorithms because curating music, curating anything takes effort and it takes does. time, like you say. Um, and so I think the music purists will, will say to you that there's we're missing something without this curation. Mm. There's something special about looking for a new artist and finding him and kind of digesting all the yeah. music and kind of incorporating it into your life. Whereas nowadays, when you hear a new mu new musician, it's part of a playlist or part of a, a list of songs. You might not be able to dig into that person's catalog and yeah. kind of listen to their album as a whole. And so for me, looking back on 2020, of course, it was the Jacob Collier year for me. And so my 2020 <laughs> playlist is full of his music, of course. And he's one of those where I found outside of the algorithm and i don't know if i would have found him elsewhere so i think you have to have some sort of balance for anyone who really cares about music it's it's, it's trying to spend some time every now and then when you hear something that's really sticks out to you is give that artist some more time yeah. like yeah. actually dig into that artist and see what else they've got because you can find real gems rather than letting the algorithm dictate all the time because unfortunately if you do that, you're never really going to dig into new artists. You're just going to have this absolutely smorgasbord of lots and lots of different stuff, yeah. which is still good music. Yep. But you miss that you miss that that um, real in-depth listening experience you used to get back in the iTunes days. I agree with that. I completely agree with that. And I kind of wish we were back then. But anyway, we are where we are now. It's <laughs> great. Um, the, the one other thing that the Spotify Unwrapped lets us do, Barry, because we publish through a Spotify affiliate or a Spotify uh, subsidiary called Anchor, is we get to look back on how many people's lives we touched as a provider <laughs> of content. And I was just astounded, Barry, to see that we have produced 3,000, over 3,000 minutes of content this year. It's insane. <laughs> 
It's a lot of Barry and Chad. It's a lot <laughs> of Barry and Chad. Uh, and yeah, it's crazy when you think about it like yeah. that, the amounts of content we've generated. And I'm super proud of it. I'm super proud of the consistency yeah, we've done throughout this year. And, and like you say, being able to speak for that period of time mm -hmm. is certainly a lot of time. And the fact that people are listening still is, is super gratifying and super exciting. And so long may it continue. I think it's a really, really crazy number to think about. And also the fact, Chad, that we have listeners all around the world. Exactly. Lots and lots of different countries. It really does show the power of the internet that two random blokes talking over zoom can really affect people around the world yeah. and uh, yeah it's, it's really special really really cool it really really is let's then turn the lens a little bit inward barry and focus on ourselves a bit develop and grow chad i was on my phone on the first of december and i did that long tap into the iphone Ooh. to get to that jiggly mode you know that jiggly mode yeah, we all jiggle. talk about yeah yeah and I went to my social media folder where my Instagram was and my Twitter was and my mm. Facebook was. And I made that terrifying tap with my finger on the X's next to all of them, Chad, because I am yet again doing my December off of social media, um, which I wanted to talk about and wanted to bring up because it's something I've done for a couple of years now. And I'm going through the withdrawal symptoms as we speak, Chad. <laughs> That is insane. We spoke about this last year and I, I just don't know. How do, you, how do you do it, Barry? I mean, when you talk about those <laughs> withdrawal symptoms, are you cutting from these apps completely? Are you limiting to a certain number of minutes or hours during the day? Do you let yourself, you know, check in once a week? What's the vibe? Yeah, so it's a, ideally what I would love to do is just delete it completely and not touch it for a month because I think that's a really good reset. Mm. But unfortunately, a lot of my projects rely on promotion, right? right. So I kind of said to myself, if I'm going to be promoting something, so a blog post or this podcast or whatever I'm doing, then I'm going to reinstall the app, okay. do the promotion, <laughs> and then delete it again. Okay. So what I'm trying to eliminate is just mindless scrolling. Yep. I don't want to be scrolling during December. So I'm more than happy to post things because uh, of the podcast. I mean, sure. I, I've got a new theater club show that's coming up, so I was promoting that today cool. but in between that i want to delete the apps and not go on at all and so it really is tough chad because i find myself just out of habit mm -hmm. pulling down on spotlight search and typing instagram into it then being confused as to why can't i see the <laughs> icon why where, where's it gone and then i remember oh wait i deleted the app but it's so habitual because i do it tens and twenties and thirty times a day which is really really scary to see and mm -hmm. so I, I know from the past that over after a couple of days I'll get past that and then I'll start to do other stuff but in these first few days of December Chad I'm pulling down looking for those apps all the time just insane uh, one of these days I'll back myself enough to join you on one of these challenges <laughs> but I don't at the moment Barry I, I just don't and you're right it's because I, I'm addicted to these apps uh, for the most part I think I'm, I've gotten a lot better at it but I do find myself struggling to concentrate for long periods of time I'm constantly tapping on the screen just to make sure I'm not missing anything or uh, you know ultimately I've always got these notifications on my watch that are pinging through there's always somebody that needs or wants or you know just feels like they deserve your time and attention and uh, ultimately you 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 become accustomed to it don't you yeah definitely it's one of those things where I have to force myself to do it because I don't like doing it mm -hmm. but I know it's good for me and I know it's a really good reset and I really do feel refreshed when I get to January after this period the first time I did it was very very difficult but I felt really good towards the end of December and into January because all of a sudden I was reading more books Chad mm -hmm. I was kind of relaxing more I was spending more time with friends and family and I wasn't kind of getting into that that comparison trap especially yep. over December when everyone goes on these amazing holidays and you see all these amazing beach pictures and people overseas and mm. all the holidaying going on, it's really nice to kind of get out of that mindset and just focus on yourself for December. Kind of do some self-care, do some introspection and think about mm. what you're going to do for the next year. And then when January comes around, I'm straight back on that train. <laughs> but it's one of those things where... I found it super valuable, and so I want to encourage anybody who's, who feels a little bit addicted to maybe try it over December. It doesn't have to be the whole month. Maybe it's just over the Christmas week. Maybe it's a couple days. Maybe it's every Saturday or every Sunday. Yep. Some sort of kind of some small period of time where you cut off those things and you just see how it feels because I think a lot of us have forgotten what it feels like to not be sharing our lives at every second of the day or not to be scrolling every time we get bored and to be able to sit like on your couch with nothing to do and be like, 
okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> like that experience, people lose out on that experience. Yeah. And that's where so many creative ideas come from when you are bored. Unfortunately, in today's world, we never get bored because every single moment of the day, whether we're on the toilet or we're in the <laughs> queue at a, a coffee shop or so wherever true. we are, if we have a second, a se even a, a red robot, people are pulling out their phones to scroll while they're driving, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's worrying. We've chatted about the social dilemma a couple of weeks ago. We've chatted about this in the past. And so I want to encourage anybody to join me on this, this journey in December. If you are feeling that way, I promise you, you won't regret it. And you'll learn a lot about yourself if you give it a go. It's a whole lot more than worrying, Barry. Like if you think about it, it's absolutely ridiculous ridiculous and i'm 100 the same i today had a moment where i was heating something up in the microwave uh, some oats in the morning and it was two and a half minutes and i felt myself you know lunging for something something to fill my attention i actually said no i'm gonna sit here and look at the wall and <laughs> and it was, i'm glad i did i had like some some headspace i had some clarity uh, after that tiny little bit of time and uh, because I don't ever get that time when you're in bed, when you're on the couch, you're not even focused on what you're watching on the TV. You're like double screening it. Um, there's just far too much stuff going in all the time that we don't ultimately stop and let that information you know, run around its, its natural course. Um, and yeah, it's a problem. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's a problem. It really is. And I think that we've chatted about this idea of creation versus consumption in the past, right? We've chatted about how we are trying with our lives to try and create more than we consume. And so we are writing blogs and recording covers and doing podcasts. We're trying to create stuff because we both believe that's an important value in our lives. And you can't create if you don't leave space to create, yep, right? It's true. If you're consuming all day, every day, all you're doing is filling your head with the ideas of somebody else mm -hmm. or with thoughts of somebody else. And you're letting someone else kind of run your brain. We have to we have to get better at kind of letting ourselves have time to just sit and think about things, to think about what matters to us, to think about our goals, to think about the problem we're trying to fix at work or the problem we're trying to fix in our relationship yep. or whatever the story is. If you don't give it time to think about that stuff and time to breathe and kind of introspect about your life, you're never going to make any changes because you're just going to be on that, on that rat race all the time. And so for me, December is the perfect moment for me to kind of take a step back, breathe again, and think about my life going forward. Yep. 2020 has been a crazy year, and so there's lots of introspection to be done. There's lots of plans to be made for 2021. And getting rid of social media, for me, is a really important part of that process. I'm going to have FOMO, certainly. When I go on holiday a bit later, I'm not going to be able to share it, and I'm going to be like, ah, what if, I, if I didn't share on Instagram, did it actually happen? Did I actually go to the Kruger or whatever it is? Um, and so that's going to be an interesting experience. But I think it's worth it just to remind yourself what the human experience actually is like without the constant notifications and the constant kind of scrolling yeah. and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling for those hits of dopamine. Yeah, and uh, good on you, man. Good on you. I'm going to actually give you a, a round of applause, Barry, just for the <laughs> thought of doing it, just for the taking on the challenge even. I think you deserve it, man. I really, really do. Uh, good on Chad, you. I, I need listeners with me. So if you're <laughs> listening to this right now, I need you on my team. I need you guys to behind me one way. So... Of course, listen to Across the Pond. Don't turn that off, but make sure that you are, are with me on this and I promise you, you'll, you'll learn a lot. Okay, so let's say we've done that, Barry. We've now stopped. We've, we've done a little bit of introspection. And what we realize when we're doing that is we've got some demons. We've got some, some self-doubt demons. We, because we're comparing ourselves to other people all the time, we don't think we are as good as everyone else. Or we don't think we have the potential. Um, but you think it's not necessarily such a bad thing. Yeah, Chad, it, it, it's a paradigm shift that I discovered a couple of days ago. And, and I'm, I'm going to read a quote just now that kind of encapsulates it. But talking about this imposter syndrome that we feel so often, mm. we've chatted about a lot offline, Chad, about how we want to be like YouTubers and musicians yep, yep. and writers and podcasters. Yep. And we are doing all of these things, but we <laughs> feel sometimes like, what right do we have, right? Why, why are we the people to be doing this? And we look at the numbers every day and we're like, mm. oh, we're not millionaires yet we don't have <laughs> billions of views yet so maybe we're not cut out to do this stuff right and those that self-doubt creeps into your head and gets in the way of creation because you wonder why should anyone care what i have to say what why why like 
have, do I really have the right to do this? And I think what's what's powerful about self-doubt is that it can be a trigger. And if you think about it the right way, it can be a really positive experience because it reminds you of what actually matters to you. When there's something that you don't care about, Chad, you feel no self-doubt about it, right? If it's something that you really don't value at all, you just get it done. You kind of get yep. through, go through the motions, you get it done, the minimum will do, and you move on to something else. And so it kind of shows that if you don't have anxiety or don't have doubts about that, it doesn't actually matter to you. Right. Whereas the things that really matter to you are the ones that cause us so much anxiety and so much insecurity and so much self-consciousness. And so if you're able to see that as, as a signal of that and, a, and a, a trigger to say, cool, this is what actually matters to me me that's a big step forward when it comes to self-awareness and it's a difficult thing to do chad but i think it's really powerful yeah it's interesting it really is uh, i guess when you start to think about what you care about um you know ultimately you do have a lot more feelings to those particular things and uh, you're right i think you have to work harder to get through that barrier and ultimately working harder at something makes it a lot more worthwhile and makes that victory even sweeter when you do get there at the end which barry you and i are hopefully going to do at some stage um but yeah 100 percent. I, I i do i do get that vantage point it's not something i would have thought about at face value um but it is a very nice kind of positive uh, spin on something that ultimately could otherwise be really negative yeah, definitely. And, and then let me read the quote from the book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which is a brilliant book. I highly recommend it. The quote goes as follows. Self-doubt can be an ally. This is because it serves as an indicator of aspiration. It reflects love, love of something we dream of doing and desire, the desire to do it. If you find yourself asking yourself and your friends, am I really a writer? Am I really an artist? The chances are that you are. And it's that idea, Chad, that you don't have to wait for permission to be a writer or a musician or a podcaster or an artist. All you have to do is make art or yep. write or podcast, right? There's no need to wait for permission from somebody. That that world is way behind us. Yep. And by making that art, you become a writer. And just by doing it, that, that that's where the joy should come from. We shouldn't be focusing all the time on this end goal. We shouldn't be looking at Sean Mendes and being like, I hope my YouTube video goes viral <laughs> so I can become the next Sean Mendes, right? Yep. That's the natural indication. That's the natural pull of those sort of inspirational yep. stories. But if we can realize that the reason we feel so anxious about music, for example, is because we really care about it and we want to be good at it. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That is a passion that most people don't find in their lives. They end up doing things they don't enjoy and they end up doing things that are mindless and numbing because they haven't really bought into the real things that make them fearful. And so that fear and that anxiety is a good sign. It's a sign that you're yeah. growing as a person. It's a sign that you've found something that really speaks to you on a deep, deep level. And if you can push through that insecurity and just make the art anyway just create yeah. create create no matter if it doesn't work out no matter if no one likes it just the act of creating kind of feeding that passion is going to bring you way more fulfillment than hiding away from that fear and going the safe route where you don't care as much yeah definitely and the key piece of that quote that i love so much is that it doesn't matter what your friends say back it doesn't matter whether they think you are a writer but the fact that you're asking the question is is what's important because we've also spoken, Barry, about the fact that your friends are going to lie to you. A lot of the times, you know, <laughs> people don't want to, you know, they don't want to be like, actually, you know, you're not that good. And uh, so ultimately they'll say, yes, of course you are. Yes, of course you are. You know, thinking that it's not going to have much of an effect. But that's what I like is that it's not got anything to do with the answer that they give you to that question but it's the fact that you're asking the question the fact that you're knocking on the door you're wanting to open it uh, that's what's important yeah definitely and it kind of reminds me i watched an interview with john mayer a couple of years ago and he was chatting about he was approached at a q a or some sort of behind the scenes session and there was a girl asked him how do i become a songwriter mm. and his answer was you write songs and she looked at him like very confused as to is that it like do you not have any, anything more for me he's like that's how you become a songwriter. <laughs> you write songs and the first 200 are going to suck. But eventually with enough practice, you start to realize how to get things right. Yep. And so I think we forget that sometimes. We make it so complicated. We're searching for the perfect gear or the perfect opportunity or the perfect algorithm or the keywords or whatever it is because we, we procrastinate on making stuff because we want to make it perfect. Yep. Instead of just saying to ourselves, if I want to be a writer, the way that I get there or the way that I do it is that I write. 
I write and write and write and write and write. And it's the same with any creative passion or anything you're trying to get better at. It just comes with practice. So don't focus so much on trying to optimize every single little detail when you're in the first kind of year or two of this new journey. It's all about just making as much stuff as possible and trying to get... 1% better every single time. I know, Chad, you speak about it a lot when you talk about your YouTube videos and you try and make each video like a tiny bit better yep. than the one beforehand. And over a long enough period of time, that makes a huge difference, right? But in the moment, it might feel minuscule because you're like, okay, this feels like I haven't made much progress. Yep. But if I've made that editing 1% better or my sound design 1% better or my B-roll 1% better, over time that compounds and gets to really, really powerful things. And so when it comes to anything you care about or trying to trying to do in this world, just do it for the love of God. Just go and do it. Like life is too short to sit on the sidelines and worry about what people are going to think of you and is it going to work out and are people going to like what I make and you're going to regret those those thoughts. So if you have that idea, please just go and do it. Yeah, 100%. And I guess that's the whole key thing of, of just start, right? That first piece of art is not going to be what you think is going to be it's going to suck and that's fine yeah uh, but ultimately if you if you like you say barry carry on and get one percent better every single time um you know you're going to eventually get where you want to go um it's that saying as well that i'm sometimes very guilty of uh, which is all the gear no idea and uh i mean that <laughs> you know it's the truth sometimes you've got to resist the urge to buy something to solve a problem uh, there's a lot more behind the scenes that needs to be done. Uh, and you you do. You've just got to admit that truth. Um, and, and like you say, Barry, just start creating. And when I do look back at videos that I produced even a couple of months ago, um, they're night and day in my eyes. So, yeah, I completely agree with you, Barry. I think it's a great uh, call to action for everyone listening. And, uh, yeah, hopefully this is the beginning of a wonderful creative journey for you. Without a doubt. I mean, I think we, we try to live this life, but it's not easy, Chad. Mm. We have all the same insecurities. We message each other a lot about these things, and yep. it's a never-ending struggle. This imposter syndrome doesn't go away. Yep. But it's, it's good every now and then to remind ourselves that if you want to be a writer, all you have to do is write. You don't have to have a book contract. You don't have to have a publisher. You don't have to have friends who believe in you. All you have to do is sit down in front of the page and write. And that metaphor applies to any creative pursuit or anything you're trying to get good at in his life. So don't let other people get in the way of what you're trying to do. Focus on what makes you happy, what, what really gets you excited, and, and follow that curiosity because that's what, that's what life's about. Like That's what you're going to remember in your old age. Yep. You're not going to remember the safe route you took. You're going to remember the, the risks that you took and the cool stuff you tried to make and the stuff that failed and the videos that you hated <laughs> and all those bits and pieces, right? That's all part of the process. And uh, that is going to give you a much more fulfilling life. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's what you're trying to do, yep, Chad. Yep. And I hope that across the pond listeners that you're in the same boat. Yeah, and you also want to look back, Barry, and, and look back on all of your creations. You want to know that you were in the arena, right? You were on the pitch. You were doing things. You were you were trying. Um, because I think the worst thing is to be lying on your deathbed and realizing that you, you let that insecurity, you let that self-doubt uh, paralyze you from taking any action. Um, and in those moments... I think it does become really clear how easy it would have been to just start. Um, and yeah, ultimately, that's what we're talking about. Thanks, Barry, for putting it into such great words. Uh, another wonderful place to end our jam-packed episode yet again of Across the Pond. Another cracker, Chad. Another absolute <laughs> cracker. We're heading towards the end of the year and we've really, really enjoyed making these episodes. Well, I certainly have. Yep. And uh, it feels really cool to be coming. We passed a year mark. We're really into our stride. It feels like we've we've made a long way. I'm speaking about creation. We've made a lot of progress in this podcast, sure. right? Looking back at some of our earlier episodes, it was a whole <laughs> different barrier, Chad. And so it's been really interesting to watch that, to watch that journey. And as we come to the end of the year, again, a huge thank you to everyone who has listened and watched throughout this year. We really do appreciate you. And there's lots more to come, Chad. Lots more to come. 100%. Please do follow us on all of our social media pages. We are on Twitter at across underscore podcast, Instagram at across the podcast, and on Facebook, across the pond podcast. That's all for today. We'll see you next week. Oh. Stop.